Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 25th, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shifflin. Good evening, sir. Yes, very excited about the show tonight. Um, William Schneider long-time contributor to CNN, among other places, current writer at the Hill Station. He'll be our guest here in about 20 minutes, and we're asking him about a myriad of, in particular, kind of national issues, maybe some specific states, but how they fit into the national picture. So that'll be coming up about 7.20 live or 20 minutes into the podcast if you're listening later. Um, But until then, we're going to discuss some other topics. And one thing that we haven't discussed in probably maybe even a few months, but we have discussed it a lot over the past year, is the pandemic, uh, COVID-19. And um, we're going to look at it more from a uh, little bit of medical, but a little bit of social, a little bit of political. uh, Because, you know, as I'm sure everyone's aware by now, the vaccines uh, have been rolled out. There's been, you know, hundreds of millions of um, vaccines I'm going blank on the right term, but uh, doses of the vaccine out there. So we're to the point, I think about 10 days ago in America, they announced that any adult um, that wants the vaccine, I guess everybody was 16, um, so that goes a little up, um, under adulthood, that wants the vaccine can now get the vaccine. Uh, they're opening back up the Johnson & Johnson one dose, uh, the Moderna, the um, Pfizer, and there may be a fourth one, I'm not mistaken, that's out there. But basically, if somebody wants the vaccine, they can get it. Um, So looking at the timeline, uh, do you all know there's one that's uh, like a 14-day between doses and one's a 21-day? Do you all know which one's the 21-day? Mine was 28. I'm not sure. Mine was 28, the Moderna. So the Moderna. When so I, took it, in Jan- I took it in January and February, and it was a 28-day yeah. wait. Okay, so let's take let's use the longest one. So somebody, let's say 10 days ago, they said you can get the the vaccine. Um, take a few days to schedule it. I mean, we'll say a week there. Then let's say you have to have a 28-day period between the two, um, you know, a month, and then there's another. What, 14 days is the, about what it takes to get fully in your system. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, 14. So, so unfortunately, you're still looking at like seven weeks from 10 days ago. But let's say we're getting to the point where seven weeks from 10 days ago, everyone that wants the vaccine can get the vaccine. At what point do we have to start saying, if you don't want the vaccine, then we just can't help you. I mean, at this point, you're just refusing it, 
and you're wanting to, you know, go about things your way, we can't help you. We've got to open things back up. We've got to um, loosen restrictions. Um, Catherine, is there that point where, you know, we have to move past the people that won't help themselves? Well, yeah, I think, but I think what's going to, I would imagine what's going to happen is as we, as more and more people get vaccinated, um, you know, restrictions loosen up and then we have to see what happens. You know, if, um, if we are able to, you know, some people go back to work, you know, they don't work remotely a hundred percent of the time we, uh, you know, People start relaxing a little bit around um, their personal lives, uh, you know, entertaining at home. And um, and then we just have to see if we get any surges after that. And then they'll have to reevaluate whether to, you know, re, re, that put those restrictions back. I think it's going to be, you know, um, it, it's going to still be a long road and it's still going to be mean wearing masks in public and social distancing in public when you don't know who you're around. But I do think it's going to loosen up our personal lives so that we can entertain at home with other people who are vaccinated. And I think that will be a big relief. I'm looking forward to it. My, uh, I'm up at the end of this week, so I'm looking forward to, you know, socializing with my friends who have been vaccinated. So, um, but I think it's still going to be a test. You know, we're still going to be evaluating as we go along. I'm sure we'll still hear from Dr. Fauci a lot and um, get updated uh, recommendations and guidance from the CDC. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I saw an article uh, in the Cleveland, Cleveland Plain Diller about a week ago that said, you know, they had predicted it how it has the vaccine rate would be like 95 percent. The early indications that the um, effectiveness is closer to 99. Um, so, so far, indications have been good. And part, I think, testing is going to be people that have been vaccinated getting back out there, if you will, because um, that's the way you're going to know if, if things are back to normal, uh, more or less. Tim, what are your thoughts on this coming to, emerging dilemma really well let, let's just you know call it what it is in this country uh like about everything else this is turned into a partisan political issue more so by the way according to surveys in this country than in any other developed country in the world um and this divide is you know <laughs> pronounced we 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 uh we mentioned uh i think on this show a couple of weeks ago if you look at where the vaccinations are going right now and where they're not going it almost looks like last year's presidential map blue states versus red states um according to monmouth university 45 percent of republicans are saying either they will not get vaccinated or some of them in that group are saying they will if they are forced to do so. If you uh, break that down into registered voters, 
we're talking 15 million people right there just in in the group of registered voters who are saying they're not going to get the vaccine. Now, that don't count the uh, uh, quarter of independents and a little less than 10% of Democrats, all of whom are saying that they will not get it as well. So you're talking about a significant group of people, and we need 85 to 90% of the people in this country vaccinated to make sure we achieve herd immunity. Otherwise, it's going to be like Catherine said. When you go out, you're not going to know, you know, who is who, so you're probably going to have to maintain social distancing and wear a mask. Now, I am already uh, interacting with folks who have been vaccinated uh, you know, some have come to my house, and uh, as a matter of fact, I'll be going next weekend to a uh, my first in-person political gathering of any type in uh, 13 months. And and everyone, everyone that will be there, by the way, has been vaccinated. Um, well, well, and that. That's what I'm getting. I mean, certainly, I mean, if you're vaccinated and it's 99% effective, then you should be protected whether the person's been vaccinated or not. And so at what point do you just say, okay, I'm going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to go to a ball game. I'm going to go to a movie theater. I'm going to go to events. I don't know what everybody else does. And if one person there is not vaccinated and another person's va- not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. They can pass it to each other, but it doesn't affect me because I'm it vaccinated. Might. At what point you know, do we just say, like, we've I'm, got to get back to normal? I'm in a very high-risk group, issues and age, and if that 1% is an average, it might be 10 to 15% for someone like me. And even if if the vaccine prevents me from getting sick, I could be exposed to it and turn around and give it to someone who has not been vaccinated. They don't really know enough about this virus to be sure because this virus has never been around before. Uh, We need people to get vaccinated. That's the long and short of it, as many as possible. And and I think it would have been good is when they passed the stimulus bill, I think they probably should have said um, you get part of the money no matter what or none of the money unless you get vaccinated. I would have taken part of it and made a vaccination bonus. Um, And and that was proposed, and I think that may have been – um, what maybe uh, move more people then, to get vaccinated, but they didn't do that. Question, so now then we're a question. in the situation we're in. Yeah. Then a question: If this vaccine rate really slows down, and it is slowing down some, a uh, couple of weeks ago, 3.4 million people a day were getting vaccinated, and now it's 2.9 million people a day. If that continues to slow down to the point where we just can't get enough people vaccinated before we do. That's what I'm saying. I don't think you could go on like this infinitum. And so, and a lot of the industries that have suffered, if you're going to get the economy back at some point, you're going to have to get, begin to move and let people return to normal life. I mean, for instance, like schools, 
schools are going to have to be in person next year. That's too that's too long to go online. You know, it would be, you know, that's one and a half years at least uh, if if you started like that. Um, and it would be good to get more people vaccinated, but if people just refuse um, the holdouts, I don't think you can let safety of the holdouts that don't want to protect themselves. Um, they can't dictate things. These are the people that didn't want to, you know, probably isolate in the first well, place. And so now they want to make the people that isolated, they're wanting to punish them further by their behavior. And that's just, uh, to me, untenable mm-hmm. long term. Well, what if these holdouts are teachers or they work in nursing homes? Or what do you do with those people? Yeah. Do you I, deny I, now, as far as medical professionals? Medical professionals, I'm not so sure you could continue to work because it would be like anything where you had something that was going to cause you to harm people at your job. I think that's a different story. Now, jobs that are not in the medical industry, I mean, you got to figure out what's what there. But you are going to have holdouts in a lot of uh, places that you wouldn't think. And it's sad that you do. Um, I, and therefore, you know, I think a, a carrot. And they're going to try a stick approach. I mean, you know, like I sent y'all an article right before we're on air, Europe's going to let people uh, travel back that have been vaccinated. And Europe can do that. Uh, Japan could do that. Australia could do that. South America could do that. Um, then, it, But, of course, we know I think a lot of the people that are holding out from getting vaccinated are probably the kind of people that don't care anything about going to Europe. They probably think going to Europe is strange. Um, and so, therefore, that's not going to help us with America. Um, but, but I just think at some point, like I, I read somebody on a column talking about they went to, or as a message board talking they went to Atlanta, the Atlanta United game last night. They said, my wife and I were fully vaccinated over a month ago. We were completely safe. We wore our mask, but then we'd see people take it off. And even though we were safe, it bothered us. And this other, and you're, you're sitting there going, how long are we going to have to be in this situation with people that have gone with the science and, you know, been vaccinated? Um, Catherine, well, I mean, at what I, point? Is there a timeline? Well, I I think it would be – I would not be surprised if we are just getting get used to wearing masks in public pretty much all the time, like they do in some other countries. Um I think that talking about mandates is really difficult because these vaccines are still uh, in the exper- considered experimental. And uh, I think uh, requiring people to have vaccines or any kind of medical treatment that's still in an experimental stage is, uh, is pushing it. I think that's, You know, there are people who are concerned about um, whatever, if there's any side effects, um, if, you know, what the long-term impact of this vaccination might be, especially people who may have complicated medical histories or or are are part part of a, a group that has been um, taken advantage of by medical treatment or medical testing in the past. So I think that that's uh, uh, 
difficult path to go down in terms of mandating. Um, and But I, I think, I mean, I pretty much expect to be wearing a mask when I, you know, go out in public in a store or restaurant. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't anticipate a time when that won't be part of our sort of natural um, behavior. I, and see, I, I don't know that, that. I don't know that most Americans are going to want to wear a mask just. Well, I don't you know, wear a mask, from now on. But... Like I know in China they do, but I thought that was more for air quality, not for um, disease. You know, but if, if, you know, people should by now have been thoroughly saturated with the stories and news reports on television about what this virus can do to you if you get it. And what are they thinking? It's killed nearly 600,000 people in this country. It's infected millions of people, people who even have, quote, recovered from it have long-term disabilities, a lot of them, as a result of it. What are they thinking? Why not just go ahead and get the vaccine? Our very history, where we got rid of smallpox and polio with vaccines. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't understand... It. Yeah, I don't understand the rejection of science, but we're seeing that on a lot of fronts. But I'm just – I don't know that you're going to move these people. Like on Political Wire today, they had a, a, another story saying that about a million people recently, they got the first dose, and then they didn't get the second dose. Um, you know, that's kind of that's kind of crazy in that that means that at first they didn't reject the science. And I would I would suspect that a lot of the people still had no problem getting the second uh, dose. They just – couldn't get it scheduled, forgot, things came up. Um, it's kind of like when we talk about voting. You know, people just can't get there to vote. You know, they intend to, but they just don't. Um, yeah, but so your life depends on this. Was a your life, well, don't, your life don't depend on if you vote. Your life don't depend yeah. if you're late to church or the grocery store. Your life depends on this. I mean, well, you're very I mean, life. That's what I'm saying. I say, and, and I know they said some people, they – learned more, and, and le- I use learn in air quotes, uh, that they they learned more and um, thought it was, uh, you know, unsafe. And some people believe that one dose was good enough, which if you didn't have the Johnson & Johnson, that's incorrect. Um, and, and this may be a situation showing that even though the, the Johnson & Johnson might not have been quite as effective uh, for people that were only going to get one dose, uh, it might have been the way to go. Um, but that one's back out there um, as well. So um, I just think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, but I do think that, you know, the way we run on things, you know, like colleges next year, most colleges have started to announce they're going back to normal, um, you know, because of the fact that, you know, everybody's been offered the vaccine. Now, they were talking about some colleges, could colleges, some colleges mandate uh, the vaccine, because while Catherine, I think you're right that it's somebody's body and they can, you know, to a point make their choice. 
if College A said you have to have it and College B said you didn't and you can get into either institution, I guess theoretically you're giving them a choice. What do you think? You know, uh, a university or, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could do that with a, a company too uh, could require it because, you know, people are free to say, well, I'm not going to work there or I'm not going to go to school there. But having a national mandate is where you, I think you get into trouble. Uh, you know, like if you require everyone to get it, I think you uh, run into uh, complications due to the fact that it's experimental. And also, there are people that just um, have religious or um, ethical reasons that they don't want to get this particular treatment. So I think uh, individual organizations are in a different position than uh, state or federal government in terms of requiring the, the vaccinations. Yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting one to look at. I think, you know, sports leagues, uh, where is the, you know, the capacity? I think I heard the other day a Hawks game. They had 2,000 people there. Um, by the time, um, theoretically, I guess even when the playoffs come, are definitely by like, let's say when the Falcons have their season. Are they going to open up a full capacity? Because if everyone could have been vaccinated, why would you restrict ticket sales, which would drive the price up? Uh, movie theaters. I mean, movie th- the movie industry um, suffered great, you know, greatly. And um, with this summer, with movies coming out, and I guess Catherine, you know, tonight's the Oscars. I guess right. Um, how lo- yes. much longer should they be punished by people that don't want to get vaccinated? Um, you know, I, I, just, I think it's going to be a question that continues to get asked. And I think uh, I would not be surprised to see President Biden speak on this when he addresses Congress, talking about some kind of timeline um, for opening back up. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the trajectory is in that direction now anyway. Things are opening up. The economy is heating up. People have money to spend. People are stir crazy. People want to get out. All that is great, man. I'm all for it. We really need to do that. But why don't they just get vaccinated? I mean, I, I, I can give exceptions to people with, you know, religious objections. There's always going to be them. But you've just got a lot of people doing this for partisan political reasons, and and uh, that, that's not a good thing. Well, I, and, you know, I'll say this about religious objections. People have a whole lot of different religious beliefs around this world. Um, I'm going to give you an example of one where it, it pretty much kills somebody. Somebody I think is pretty important uh, to American history because of his musical genius. Uh, Prince, the singer, was a Jehovah Witness. They do not believe in blood transfusions. He needed a hip replacement surgery. To get that surgery, he was going to have to have you know, blood that was not his put into his body to do that surgery. He did not have it. He tried to manage the pain through prescription medication, he overdosed on it. Would he not have been better off having the surgery and not following this, you know, non-medical tenet of the Jehovah Witness religion? I mean, we can sit there and there probably, there's probably things about religions that we don't know around the world that just don't make any kind of medical or scientific sense. Um, 
not believing in vaccines, I mean, well, I guess you don't take the polio vaccine, and we don't have polio anymore. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that some point, um, you know, like some, you know, some religions, uh, you know, have drug abuse or drug usage as part of their uh, religion with peyote or whatever. Well, what if somebody's taking a, a drug that just, you know, overdose rate is just through the roof like heroin? Is that a good idea? Um, so I think but, there but is those a, groups are, a those religion. groups are small. Those groups are yeah. small in number, right? Yeah, I just forty-five percent of Republicans is quite a different number. That is yeah, so exactly. many that if a yeah. few people yeah. join them, we cannot achieve herd immunity. And if we yeah. don't achieve herd immunity, we're not going to get rid of this virus. Yeah. Well, speaking of cults, um, you know, that's a pretty big one in America these days. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just going to – and how much further is it going to go where Republicans are going to keep rejecting science? I mean, I, I just wonder if they're going to continue to push against the medical industry further and further. I mean, at what point do they – oh, don't set my leg. I don't believe in that. I know the X-ray shows it's broken, but I'm not. A, I don't want to be a part of, you know, Dr. Fauci's cast scheme. Um, yeah, and I just, you just wonder um, how much they're going to reject. Which um, I think it's going to create a a tiered society uh, in the near term with this, you know, vaccine well, process. You know, guys, yeah. if it didn't affect anybody but that one person who objects to having it, fine with me. If they want to take that chance, good for them. But they put other people at risk here. The average person who gets exposed infects three other people. That's not fair to those three other people, you know. Well, that, that's what I'm saying is moving forward, If the in, in July – the three other people will have had a chance to be vaccinated and could have prevented that. They chose not to. So, I mean, this thing, really, if this thing gets out of control and, like, let's say they say that you may end up being a booster shot um, by the late fall, kind of about the time the flu shot, you know, comes out, the flu vaccine, if, if everybody that still believes in science gets their vaccine and, and avoids it, could this thing be where you're still seeing – COVID deaths, and those COVID deaths are very specific to um, hardcore Republicans that don't believe in vaccines. Catherine? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not like – I think we ha- – like with all the things related to COVID – I think we just have to wait and see. I think it's really hard to predict. Um, you know, perhaps as we move forward and, uh, you know, our surges go down, maybe people will reconsider their decision not to have the vaccine. Um, perhaps employers will start to put in um, – requirements and so people will be forced to either leave their jobs or get the vaccine so i just think we have to wait 
uh, as frustrating as it is, and see how this all shakes out. And um, I hope that uh, President Biden provides some leadership and and um, perhaps some leaders in the Republican Party will um, also make some statements about how important it is to get vaccinated and perhaps that would help. Um, but I, I just think it's really hard to, to predict. I know that's our job here to try to predict these things, but when it comes to this, uh, this particular topic, I think it's just really difficult. Yeah. I mean, time will tell and we will see. Uh, let's move on to the next topic we have tonight. And it's, it's one of our buy, sell, hold. Uh, and in the news, um, this past week, uh, first I wanted to kind of mention um, the exchange between her and Jim Jordan, and then we'll get into the, the story that came out after that. Uh, Val Demings, who uh, is a congresswoman from the Orlando area, has been a former police chief, I believe, in Orlando or Orange County there in Orlando. Um, she uh, was speaking on you know, policing, and, and she's in a, a very interesting, I think, in a, a person you really want to hear from because she's been a police and she isn't a woman of color. She's African-American, so she really understands um, this issue from all angles the way, you know, other than African-American policemen or women, uh, you don't have. Um, and so Jim Jordan pretty much cut her off, and, and it got to be a very contentious exchange um, Tim, did you see that, and what did you think of that? Um, yes, I did see it, as a matter of fact. It was uh, during a committee uh, meeting, um, and and she just finally told him, you, you, you know nothing about what law enforcement officers do. She had the floor, and he tried to interrupt, and she just turned around and said, did, did I strike a nerve? Uh, and, and things got, you know, fairly heated after that. I believe it was in the uh, Judiciary Committee, and they were having a hearing on the, on the uh, Hate Crime Act, the COVID, uh, COVID-19 uh, Hate Crime Act that has since passed. And uh, he he started yapping about defunding the police or something, and r- right in the middle of her trying to talk, and she she was having none of it. She told him, you know, I've been a law enforcement I was a law enforcement officer for twenty seven years, and you know you don't know what you're talking about, and you need to be quiet. <laughs> but Miss uh, Congressman Jordan's well known for in those sorts of stunts. Yeah, there's a difference in being conservative and being rude, or being liberal and being rude. I mean, if you're, you can be a zealot for your position, but that doesn't mean you have to be rude. Um, and that's what I think he really is more of, is rude more than a zealot when it comes right down to it. Um, yeah. Catherine, uh, before we move on to the, the buy-sell-hold part of it, um, your thoughts on the exchange between the two congressional representatives? I saw just a little bit of it, and I, I'm just tired of uh, of people interrupting 
particularly women and, uh, you know, voicing these false claims on uh, in the middle of these hearings. I just, I just am so tired of it. And uh, the lack of respect, the, um, the, the lack of respect for the person talking as well as the lack of respect for the truth. It's just very, um, it's a huge disappointment um, that, that people are, using this kind of language and, and um, interrupting people. So, you know, good for her for like, you know, telling, basically telling him to be quiet and let her talk and let the people who know what they're talking about talk. Yeah. And it's a shame it has to come to me. Um, you know, conducting yourself this way from, you know, if you've ever watched any C-SPAN, everybody's got plenty of time to talk. Um, at the end of the day, they can do their two-minute remarks and advise and ex- uh, revise and extend and everything else. At the end of the day, I guess they could cut out some recesses and whatnot, and everybody could talk a little more um, so you don't have to cut anybody off. Well, now, let's get in. And we, we talked about Val Demings when she was on Joe Biden's shortlist um, for um, vice president. I think she was not as well-known outside <laughs> of Florida. Until that time, and then that helped her get a little better known. And then, of course, the summer, the events of summer, she had that uh, very unique perspective, and I think that also raised her profile. So she has said in the past week that she's interested in seeking statewide office. She's looked at two offices, and we all we will handle them separately. She's looked at the U.S. Senate race against Marco Rubio, and she's looking at the governor's race against Ron DeSantis, both in Florida, both in 2022. Um, now, of course, she has different opponents in those races. Those races have different um, duties, and, and one's federal, one's state. So there's a lot of things that go into the complexion of that. Um, but let's look at the Senate race first. Um, Catherine, would you buy, sell, hold Val Demings running against Marco Rubio for Senate? I think I would hold with a leaning towards by um, just because I'm curious about who else might run. And um, I'd like to see some polling on uh, Rubio before I say definitely by, because I'd hate to lose her. You know, I'd hate to lose her in Congress and then um, not get her in the Senate. So that's my own, that's my only uh, worry, I guess. Yep. Tim, boss, still hold Val Demings as a candidate for the U.S. Senate. I think I would sell her. Uh, I, I don't believe that she could beat Marco Rubio. I think he's in pretty good shape down there in Florida. The other person mentioned, by the way, in that race that might run on the Democratic side is uh, – Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, um, who would be, you know, a formidable opponent in, 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 you know, the Democratic primary. So I think I'll sell her in this race. Well, I'll tell you, I, 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 Florida right now is so tricky. You almost want to sell any statewide race 
for Democrats at this point. Florida being so unpredictable, you know that at some point you have to take a chance. Um, you, you you have to think, well, you know, this isn't Idaho. You know, this isn't Mississippi. This state should, you know, have more uh, potential. It's been a swing state for a long, long time. Um, so I would say if anyone's going to run, I think Val Demings is, is as good a candidate as you're going to find. So, and I'll say this, I also think um, of the two, for some reason, and we'll get more on the other side, I think um, Rubio may be the weaker of the two candidates. So the, the hardcore Republicans just have not um, liked him as much, and I think a lot of it's immigration. He, that's the issue where he's not as hardline as some other issues, and so therefore I don't know that they trust him on immigration, and for a lot of the Will Republican true believers, uh, immigration is a huge issue for them. And so I would, I would buy him as a candidate. Now, Florida, I kind of want to uh, sell on it in some ways until I know more. Well, let's move on to the next race and, and the governor's race. And Ron DeSantis, um, I just don't think Democrats have a lot of use for him either in Florida or nationwide. Um, he really hadn't tried to build a lot of bridges. Um, but then once again, Florida's Florida, and he seems to be more popular than he should be. And so that's where I'll set this off. Um, Catherine, Vassell holds Val Demings um, for governor. Uh, I think I have to sell her. I, I'm not convinced that she could win the governorship. And again, I don't want to lose her. So. Yep. Tim, buy, sell, hold. Well, I'm really selling her in this one, and it's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, she can't she can't beat DeSantis, or I, I don't think she can. Matter of fact, I really don't know if anybody can beat him down there right now. It's perplexing, but he's he's pretty popular. Uh, also, in this particular race, Nikki Freed, who is the well, she's the only statewide elected Democrat down there. I believe she's the agriculture commissioner. She is strongly indicating she's going to jump in this race. And Charlie Crist also is strongly looking at this race. There's, a, there's something that will probably drive Val Demings one way or the other, and that is redistricting. That's coming up down there. It'll probably come up down there sooner than it will, say, here in Georgia. And uh, there, there might be several uh, members of Congress that will be thrown into districts together, and she might be one of them, and uh, that might force her hand. Uh, but I'm, I'm yeah. still going to sell her here. Before I attend to that, I'm going to um... – do the buy sell hold. I will sell her for governor. I don't know why, but Ron DeSantis is, uh, you know, more popular. I think than Marco Rubio, um, definitely among the base. Um, and the fact that she has been in Congress 
Congress to Senate makes more sense in some ways than um, Congress to governor, although, you know, I mean, there have been congressional reps that have taken over the governor mansion, the governor's mansion. We had that in Georgia um, with, you know, Nathan Deal, among others, um, and I've seen it in other states as well. So it can be done. It's just not as, I guess, frequent. Um, let me go ahead and transition over uh, to our guest and welcome back to the show, Mr. William Snyder. Hi there. I thought you were calling me, so I'm sorry I didn't get the message. Oh, I apologize. Uh, if it's anything on my my part, I uh, apologize profusely. No, you uh, sent it but, to a university mailbox, which I no longer use because I'm retiring. I think what oh. happened is when we first uh, started communicating, um, that is uh, where we first uh, hooked up on this. So. Uh, outside of the show for maybe a future time, we'll, we'll come up with a better plan. Okay, because um, I, I didn't hear from you, and I wasn't sure. And I looked, and I didn't have a number. Yes, okay. Well, um, so, sorry about that. But I'm here well, now. Let's, uh, yes, and, and um, well, let's get to it and talk about some great topics and and, um, and um, do those things. Well, let's, we've been talking about Florida, and so – um, let me just start off with that in Florida. Is Florida the current and future center of the GOP universe now? Well, it certainly looks that way with the governor and the legislature, uh, although uh, I think both Georgia and Texas are making a, a bid by changing their voting laws. But Florida is the largest Republican state, and it's a key Republican state. Republicans cannot carry the White House without Florida. They have the legislature. They have the governor. And the governor, DeSantis, has been making a serious play, I think, to become the next Republican nominee if Trump doesn't run. Mm. Yes. He and is Florida so, man. You ever hear about Florida man? Yes. <laughs> Craig Pittman, another friend of the show, he uh, all the time does post on Florida man. Well, let's kind of follow up on that. Why is Ron DeSantis so popular when particularly in the primary, he ran so hard on Trumpism, and nationally, Trumpism has been somewhat repudiated. It has been. But Florida, remember, has the oldest electorate in the country. There are a lot of retirees in Florida. And as the older the voter, the more likely they were to support Donald Trump, because they remember the old America that Trump represents. Uh, I think Trump is basically a cultural backlash to all the changes that have been occurring in the United States. Immigration, the rise of uh, liberals uh, like uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Uh, so the older you are, the more likely you are to support Donald Trump. And Florida voters tend to be pretty old. That's true. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let, let me move across the country to another beach, Sunshine State. And, and talk about the possible um, California uh, recall election for the governor. Um, it seems like you know Gavin Newsom's not as popular as he could be or should be, but it doesn't seem like he's so unpopular he's getting recalled. Why is this occurring? Because Republicans in California, like Republicans in other heavily Democratic states, are intensely frustrated. And they're willing to do just about anything to see if they can regain a foothold on power. Remember, California was Ronald Reagan's state. And Republicans there, as in New York and a few other states, are very frustrated. 
Uh, they're not going to depose uh, Governor Newsom. Uh, he's, I think, very unlikely to be recalled by the voters. He's not Gray Davis. Um, it's a very Democratic state. I think he'll survive not because the voters love Gavin Newsom, but because he's a Democrat. And California is a very heavily Democratic state. And I'll give you the reason for that. California is one of the better educated states in the country. And the better, the higher the level of education, the more Democratic the state. Yes. <clears throat> and looking at the Republican side, um, we know that Caitlyn Jenner, she entered the race this past uh, week. And then the um, mayor of San Diego, Kevin Falconer, may enter the race. I believe it's John Cox, a wealthy businessman. Do you think the Republicans will, will have a candidate that you know catches somewhat fire? But I know for the first part they have to actually recall Gavin Newsom for it to even be a point. That's right. Uh, there's no Schwarzenegger in this race. Caitlyn Jenner may think she's another Arnold Schwarzenegger, but she's not. She's far more controversial because she is, of course, transgender. Um, but uh, she also does not have the, the celebrity status that Arnold Schwarzenegger had. Schwarzenegger attracted a lot of Latino votes and a lot of young men votes because he was an action hero. Caitlyn Jenner is none of those things. She's just well-known and not well-known necessarily for purposes that people celebrate or admire. So I, I think she does not have a real chance to win. I don't think Newsom will be recalled. So, and I, the mayor of San Diego, look, in California, San Diego is a third-rate city. After the Bay Area and, and Los Angeles, nobody thinks much about San Diego. Uh, so I don't think that's a major, major factor. Yes. Well, one final question I have before I pass it on to Tim, and that would be um, looking at states that Joe Biden won, do you see any of the um, Biden states that could turn Republican in the future that are trending? Um, there are some, I imagine, that could. I mean, it depends on what the national swing is. I don't have a list of the Biden states in front of me. He did not carry Ohio, but uh, that's become a very Republican state. He did not carry Iowa. Um, he carried Illinois, but I think Illinois is likely to remain Democratic. I don't see many many Democratic states likely to go Republican. Um, but then I guess Georgia would be the top of the list because they did vote for Biden in the end. And there's a very good chance that Georgia won't stay there. The other state that could that went for Biden and could switch would be Arizona. Arizona has a long Republican history from the days of Barry Goldwater. Uh, and you know what's happening in Arizona is kind of amazing. The Republicans in the state Senate have hired a firm, I think from Georgia or Florida, I think they're called the, the, um, the uh, Cyber Ninjas, whom they've hired to recount the ballots in Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, to try to show that uh, the election was stolen and that Donald mm -hmm. Trump actually did carry Arizona. So they actually have a recount going on, and they've hired a private firm to do that. It's incredible. Yes, and... And I'm not so sure how people are going to trust the cyber ninjas if they come out with a different total either. Um, it has no legal standing. A little bit of a, <laughs> yeah, a, bit of a P PR issue. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Tim, who has some other questions. Tim? Good evening, Professor. Thank you for Thank being you. with us again tonight. Sorry I was uh, late getting in. Oh, no, no, no problem at all. It, it's, it's obvious to no one's surprise that 
Donald Trump is desiring to not only remain relevant, but to remain the central figure in Republican politics. Yes. Is he succeeding? Yes, he is. I mean, the Republican Party, he's a very popular figure. Remember, Donald Trump is not Barry Goldwater. When Goldwater was roundly defeated in 1964, he brought the Republican Party down with him, and the Republicans uh -huh. turned back to Richard Nixon. Well, uh -huh. Donald Trump lost the election, although he would never claim that he lost the election. He believes he won. Uh, but he didn't bring the Republican Party down. Republicans gained, I think, 13 or 14 seats in the House. They tied in the Senate. They won a number of state legislative seats. So the Republican Party was not destroyed by Donald Trump the way it was virtually destroyed by Barry Goldwater. So Republicans still have a lot of confidence in Trump and believe in the second coming, that he could run again, or someone very much like him could run again. Now, can he remain relevant long-term if his name is not on the ballot? Well, he has a base. He has a following in the Republican Party. It is a very intensely uh -huh. committed following, uh, and it's uh -huh. influencing races all across the board. I think eventually his star will fade, but it'll take some time because what he represented is something that a lot of Republicans feel. It's a cultural backlash. What's happening in the Republican Party is it's been taken over by the radical right. And this is mm -hmm. basically driven by a cultural backlash to these changes that they're seeing in the country that they don't like. The changes in the way the police are regarded, the changes in the population with immigration being one of the key issues. They don't like anything mm -hmm. that's happening in the country. They don't like the domination of liberals uh, in the federal government. They don't like the federal government. Mm -hmm. uh, and all these changes mm -hmm. are very enraging to the Trump people. And as long as they're enraged, whether Donald Trump is a factor or not, they're going to remain very powerful in the Republican Party. Mm. Uh, I wanted to turn now to something that you have recently written about. Oh, my gosh. And that is the gun issue. It's been oh, in yeah. the news a great deal, unfortunately, lately. So why is there such a disconnect between the public and those in political office on the subject of guns? Well, the most Americans favor sensible gun laws. Not They right. don't favor the seizure of guns, but they favor sensible gun laws. But that's totally unacceptable to people, to gun rights activists. Gun rights activists, I, I explored this once. Uh, I went to gun shows and I interviewed a lot of gun rights activists. And what I discovered is that to them, Guns are really a sign of individual freedom. They think if someone, if the government takes my gun away, I instantly become less free. It's a challenge to my freedom. That's an ideological position that's been held by Americans since the very early days of the Republic. Uh, it is a very deep commitment they feel. Uh, I, when I go on foreign t television shows and radio shows, I've been on a, a show in Australia many times called Planet America because they think America is another planet. And they always start off by saying, why do <laughs> Americans like guns so much? And I say, you know, it's because guns are a symbol of, of individual freedom. I've heard people at gun shows saying, if, if the Jews in Europe had had guns, there would, be, would have been no Holocaust. If blacks in Africa had had access to guns, there would have been no slavery. Those things are ridiculous, of course, but that's what they believe. Mm -hmm. But on the common sense, measures that you mentioned, like waiting periods and things like that, 
were in some cases over 90% of the American people, including a majority of gun owners, fully support this stuff, it, it quite often will not even get a vote in the Congress of the United States. That's right. When, after the Sandy Hook massacre, which was a terrible tragedy in 2012, mm-hmm. um, they couldn't even get past the filibuster to pass a uh, uh, a law requiring uh, what was it uh, was it a waiting period or, or something like that some some t- stronger mm-hmm. gun controls. Um, well, it's impossible to do, and I'll tell you the reason. Gun activists are single issue voters. They're voters who uh-huh. say, I'm going to vote according to what you do on guns. If you vote to impose gun controls, I don't care what they are, a waiting period or anything else, that dooms you in my eyes and me and other people like myself are going to vote you out of office. And they vote the issue. They vote the issue. That's important. Gun control supporters, to them the issue is important, but they don't vote the issue wholly. That's not what the, the only issue that determines their vote. So that if you're a member of Congress, let's say, or a state legislator, and 75% of the people in your district favor sensible gun controls, but 25% don't, it's dangerous to vote with the 75%. Because very few of the 75% care so much and so intensely about the issue that they're going to vote according to your views on that issue. In the minority mm-hmm. of voters who oppose gun controls, the 25%, you're likely to lose 10 or 15% of them who are going to vote against you simply because you disagree with them on their issue. They are single-issue voters, and that gives them enormous power. Yes. Um, Kim's still with us, but I'm not sure uh, what happened there. Well, Mr. Steyer, we want to thank you for coming on and – I wanted to, and I want you still to do this, but tell folks where they can read you in the hill. But if you want to tell people how they can see these um, interviews on Planet America from Australia, they sound quite intriguing. Well, uh, I hope they are, but uh, that's on Australian broadcasting, and I have no idea how you could get that in the United States. I just, I did the show because I love the title. To people in Australia and many other countries, the United States of America is a different planet. So they call the show Planet America, and they really treat the United States as a different planet. Um, it's it's very interesting, and they ask a lot of questions that Americans don't think too much about, uh, like issues of guns. Uh, so uh, the, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy doing a lot of foreign shows because it shows just how unique the United States is in the minds of the rest of the world. Yes. Well, and then at the Hill, um, I guess you go to thehill.com and. You're in the opinion columnist, even though you're more of just a observer, correct? Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm called an opinion contributor. But I can tell you something. You can find it on the web. Uh, I had an interesting experience w- with Joe Biden in 1987, over 30 years ago, when he first ran for president. Uh, it was because of me that his presidential campaign was ended. The whole story is something I wrote for The Hill back in April 2019. So if you look up my name in the Hill, you'll find on the web a story I wrote in April 2019 about how I inadvertently ended the first Joe Biden campaign for president. 
Uh, it's an interesting story, and it was a very interesting experience. There's no bad feeling between uh, Mr. Biden and myself. In fact, I can, I've always admired him greatly, but uh, his lapse of judgment in that instance really ended his first presidential campaign. And the whole story is right there in the Hill, uh, April 2019. Yes, well, I'm sure that's an intriguing interview. And I would now argue that you didn't end his chances of becoming president. You just hit the pause button. Well, I ended his I ended his first campaign in <laughs> night for the nineteen eighty eight Democratic nomination, but he's run well. He ran again in twenty oh four, I think twenty oh eight. He's run he's run about three times since then, and of course he was vice president. Uh, uh, Obama picked him. He was a fellow candidate for the twenty oh eight nomination, so he's run several times. I certainly didn't end his political career. The most interesting thing I reported in that article was that what ended his first campaign was the charge of plagiarism, that he stole language from a British politician's speech. I happened to give him a videotape of that speech because it was a public document. He asked me for it uh, when we had lunch once. And then he stole the candidate's words. Well, plagiarism, I discovered to many Americans, is not a very, very serious crime. People would say to me, I don't know what he did that was so terrible. All he stole was words. It's not like he stole somebody's car. Well, that's the way Americans often think. To journalists, to writers, to academics, plagiarism is very serious. But to a lot of people, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean very much at all. And it obviously did not permanently end his political career. Definitely not. Well, once again, we thank you for coming on the show and at the start of the week, I want to um, reach out to you. We're going to get a better communication system than that, uh, okay. you know, academic address. Okay. I have other emails. I'll send you my, my other email. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you again, sir. Okay, my pleasure. All right. Uh, that was uh, Bill Snyder. Um, you know, just where has he not been, but now Planet America uh, I've got to look that up on YouTube and see if it's there. Um, Catherine and Tim, uh, let's circle back. And, and I've been working some stuff on the board, Tim, just to let you know. Um, if we, We're going to pick back up this Florida conversation for the last minute or two. If you were trying to win a race statewide in Florida, what is the angle you use? Tim, I'm going to check in your audio by asking you first. Uh yeah, I I I never left, but <laughs> you know the dangers of life. Do you hear me now? I do. I didn't hear you at the time, so I had to. You know, I couldn't have dead air. Yeah, I, I understood. Um, if you're running a statewide race in Florida now, you want to be a Bill Nelson type uh, candidate politically, except you want to run a little bit harder than Bill Nelson. Uh, ran in his final campaign. Uh, it doesn't appear that progressives are doing that well in Florida, and you have got to run well and pull a huge vote in Miami. The, not getting the Hispanic vote uh, out for us really hurt Joe Biden in the Miami area and made him lose that state by 300,000 votes. you gotta, you got to have a big vote in Miami. Or, or you can just forget it as a statewide Democrat there. Catherine, what do you think on what's the, the key to Florida at this point? I think Tim's absolutely right. I think that's the, the main key is, uh, is 
Miami and the Latinx vote. Yeah, and I would even argue Cuban, not not um, Hispanic, not Puerto Rican. I'm sorry, not uh, Mexican, Puerto Rican, anything else. I think Cuban is the key. Like if if I think you could find a Cuban Beto O'Rourke or a Cuban uh, maybe a, you know a female candidate, but somebody that um, would make inroads there, but then also seems more moderate but then ran in a more dynamic way that could still get, you know, progressives more excited maybe by style. Um, then you might have the, you know, best of all worlds. Um, but, you know, it's kind of weird. Back in you know, 2018, better Democratic year, Andrew Gilliam looked like more of that progressive candidate that was really running a, a campaign much more akin to what Stacey Abrams was doing in Georgia looked like it was going to, you know, be more productive, and, and maybe it was. Maybe without him it would have been worse. But then you think Bill Nelson, okay, this is what Bob Graham and Lawton Childs and all these people won for years running. He'll do better. And he ran as an incumbent very, very slightly ahead of Andrew Gilliam, but most importantly he ran behind Rick Scott. And so he lost. He was an incumbent that lost in 2018, which was uh, fairly rare, particularly in people outside of states like, you know, North Dakota. Um, and so it's very a very vexing issue, and I think it's one of the most intriguing political problems that, you know, obviously Florida consultants are going to have to figure out, but uh, really even national Democrats ought to get involved. Because Florida is so large. One more thing, Tim, we never got to talk about it, but you were talking about redistricting, and that may change things. Florida's going to gain two seats. Now, right. obviously, the Republicans are going to want to try to gain those two seats for themselves. Now, in, a, in their perfect world, they might love to mash some Democrats together and pick up four or five seats. I just don't know that they're going to be able to pick up too many seats because of Florida's demographics, and so it may be that they just have to pick up the two new seats, and and, that means every Democrat is safe. And one of them, apparently, because of population growth, is going to be in the Orlando area. Well, guess who is in Congress as a Democrat in the Orlando area? Val Demings, the very congresswoman we've been talking about. That's why I'm saying this redistricting may force her hand. She may have to do something else because if they're going to pick up a seat, you know, in the Orlando area, they're going to want it for themselves, and it is. Yeah, but what they may have to do is they may have to take that new seat and suck out more of the Republicans out of whatever districts already exist in, in Orlando, particularly Democratic ones to create that and then go down to more rural areas. So they may just have to leave some Democratic districts. Uh, and she may be Voting Rights Act protected. I'm not sure the the legacy of the Orlando area, but there could be a, a Voting Rights um, Act seat in that area. Um, and if she's the representative for it, that makes it trickier as well. Um, well, want to thank our guest, uh, William Snyder. And then um, we're excited about next week. Because on the show, um, uh, Rachel Bittenkoffer is going to be our guest. Uh, hadn't been on in a while, but she was excited to come back next week. So until then, 
been McKenzie Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.